I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on your seaway. That's when Red Sox Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB-wide hot stove. For those of you staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and wherever you can find it on Google. For those of you who do listen on iTunes, if you want to do us a huge favor, help us out immensely, give us a five-star rating, write a review, and that will drastically improve our visibility within the iTunes app, and we would appreciate that very much. I am Terry Cushman, and am joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and uh, old pal Chris Saunders uh, making another appearance tonight. How are you, gentlemen? Not too bad. I'm okay. All right. I'm uh, still tinkering with the, uh, you know, the settings. We're off to a late start. So we will uh, get right into it. One of the hot rumors uh, of this week was a rumored discussion between the New York Yankees and the Miami Marlins in regards to a possible Gary Sanchez for JD Real Muto trade. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts since that's right in your wheelhouse? Honestly, I think the Yankees should be exploring it and even trying to dangle Sanchez as much as they can because you know you look at a lot of the you know a lot of the people in that front office that are a part of that Marlins organization besides the likes of Jeter and even some of the front office people that have come through Cashman's kind of pipeline per se are now with the Marlins. And for Sanchez, it makes perfect sense. You know, Dominican players are typically, you know, of a flamboyancy kind of way in that area. And the Yankees need a defensive catcher in Real Muto, albeit does not have the power of Sanchez. He calls a better game. Uh, his focus in terms of game-to-game, pitch-by-pitch is – immensely better than what Sanchez is right now. And for the Yankees, you know, I think we might mention the Paxton deal later on in this podcast, but they are a win-now team, and Rio Muto is a win-now player. Sanchez, he's a question mark. Yeah, you know, it's hard to argue the upside, you know, for both players. Like, either one could make a drastic impact on – you know, on a baseball team that's contending for a championship. And I just, I I think Sanchez's ceiling's a little higher, but I just, 
I don't really know how much sense it makes for the Marlins because he's got four years of control left, and I just don't see them competing within that window. So if they plan on extending him and then having him be a centerpiece of which their team might be built around, then it kind of makes a little sense. But I don't know. I If I'm a Yankee fan... I, I'm a little uncomfortable with only a two-year window, despite the win-now mode with uh, Real Muto. But even with the two-year window, I mean, there's always a chance that the Yankees could extend them because, I mean, realistically, the Yankees, I wouldn't go farther than giving up a Sanchez and a lower-level prospect. I I mean, Real Muto, he's a very good player. He's a top-five catcher. He's not a Buster Posey. He's not of that ilk by any means, so there's really no reason to trade your surplus of prospects that you still have even after the Paxton deal and just give what the Marlins need. If the asking price is too much, I walk away from it. But if it's Sanchez and a lower level prospect, I see nothing wrong with it because then you could extend him and then on top of that, Real Muto will not command what Sanchez could on the market four years down the road. So you might be saving some money and having a guy who can you know, to a certain degree, has shown that he can come up in the bright spots, albeit small sample size, because the Marlins are a mediocre team, if not a Triple A team, right now. Jeremy, your thoughts? You know, I've come out pretty strong against the Devil Rays and their effect negatively on baseball. The Marlins are just such a tr- just a trash bucket. And I expect them to do nothing more um, than sell Real Muto high here, Um, which, you know, on some level I get. But he's a legitimate major league player, like an all-star type player, a well-rounded player, the type of player you want on your team um, when you're trying to bring along younger pitching. Um, It's it's a galvanizing – you know, if you have one – position where it's like a leader type role it's always catcher because as we saw with Veritech back in the day at least as Red Sox fans they can really bring things together just just in the clubhouse with the pitching rotation with the bullpen they have the largest effect on the roster that's why you see guys like Ross with the Sox and then with the Cubs have such a have such an effect on the roster even though he's only that guy only caught like one 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 game a week um if the Marlins do this, I hate them more unless they get an absolute haul plus Sanchez. Um, it, it's just not even close to me. Like, it's not the same player. And Sanchez is going so – to me, Sanchez's whole thing is based on, like, a reputation that doesn't exist. Like, does he have the ability? Yeah. Does he have the upside? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, how many – I mean, how many people had upside? I mean, let me just throw some stats. 4.3 war at the catcher position for Real Muto. It's outrageous because, again, the Marlins suck. Sanchez, 1.2. And I understand he had a down year. He hit 186 with a 697 OPS. Uh, terrible. Absolutely terrible year. Um, Real Muto, 277 batting average, 825 OPS, hit 21 bombs with 74 RBIs on a team that, again, had almost nothing else to offer. 
he really had a great year. Um, and then when you consider that's on the Marlins, to me, it, it's, it's worth even more. Sanchez has had some issues. He had the um, phantom hamstring injury or whatever the hell it was where he didn't really uh, attempt to beat a ball down the line that had an effect on the, on the, on the uh, last out in the game. He's had some effort issues. He has a great throwing arm, but not he, he's not a great receiver of the baseball. He's not really good defensively. Um, I understand there's the contract issues because there's team control through 2022. Um, and then Rio Muto really has two years left. I'm sorry, but if I'm the Yankees and they want Sanchez for Rio Muto straight up, you know, I'd be I'd be on my way down in my, you know, in my in my uh I'm getting some feedback from somebody, uh, but you know, I, 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 if I'm a Yankees fan, I do it right away. The, my problem here is the Marlins are just—it's a goddamn fire sale. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a free puppy sign on the front yard with a box full of free puppies. And if they do this, it just pisses me off. I, I expect the Yankees, if it's a straight-up sort of deal, to absolutely do it. I think they will do it if it takes another prospect. And um, and I think that makes them instantly better. According to War, it makes them 3.1 games better right off the bat, player for player. A couple of things here. Um, I'm not a big WRC plus guy. You know, I don't really get into that. But in 2016 and uh, 2017 combined, Sanchez was plus 143, and plus 100 is about average. So that's just astronomical, and that's kind of where his ceiling could be. Another thing uh, I was reading earlier, and I just double-checked on it, uh, R.J. Anderson, I'm not familiar with him, but he writes for CBS Sports, and he speculates that Sanchez... For real Muto straight up won't be good enough for the Marlins and that there will need to be prospects also uh, coming back with Sanchez. Does does that, Chris, w- would you say that that would kind of take the Yankees out of that? I mean, it depends on who they're asking for. I know that with the loss of Swanson and Sheffield to the Mariners as long as, you know, as well as Thompson, I would think the you know the Marlins right now are in desperate need. They will be getting a catcher, so it's a swap back. I would think because of their, you know, they have a lot of position guys, you know, particularly in their in their outfield with the likes of Magnera Sierra. You also have Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson. I mean, you can go down the line. So outfield is typically not much of a need for them, but they need arms because they lack those premier guys because. They're top guys, and two of them, Kolick, and there was one other prospect that they drafted a couple years ago. They both had Tommy John's surgery. So I would think that they would ask for guys like maybe Michael King, you know, and just we, you, you can go down the line. But we don't have that premier arm like we did with Sheffield. So like I said before, if it's Sanchez and a prospect, I'm okay with that. But if it's Sanchez plus three of our top ten guys, you know what? Honestly, I'd rather keep Sanchez and just hope that maybe he can mature because to give up that much for a guy, albeit the value could be great, I mean, you don't know what giving up that much talent could do, particularly if you don't want to make the deal. Because Cashman, I've noticed with his deals in the last couple years, he hasn't traded guys that he particularly drafted. It was more so you know, guys that he acquired. So is Cashman willing to trade a guy that he signed, developed, called up, 
and then has seen in the last three years since the end of 2016 up until now? That's a question that I think we'll find out probably within the next couple months. You know, it's interesting uh, because uh, Sheffield did come over in the Andrew Miller deal, as did uh, Clint Frazier. Okay. Yep, Dylan Tate, too. Yeah. So, so um, Chris, I think your reasoning here is right on, and I hate complimenting people. <laughs> um, he does. The, he does. Uh, I, I, really, I really, like, love to find ways to disagree with people, especially in a podcast setting to keep the kind of the back and forth going. Here, I think you're dead on. Why would the Yankees feel the need to, to go three deep on the prospect pool? Um, I mean, obviously Sanchez is involved. That's what we're talking about. So it, it, it's real Muto and Sanchez plus what else, right? That's the question. Yep. And if it's three top ten guys like you suggested, get the fuck out of here. Like the Yankees are, you know, I mean, they're idiots, but they're not stupid. So um, – uh, I'm, I would think that it would be one high-level prospect, and then if it's going to be something more than another player, it's going to be some lower-level throw-in. Um, that that just makes all the sense in the world because Real Muto is the better player. Now, who knows what the Marlins do, right? Because the Marlins are just the worst franchise in all sports. So you don't know what they do. I mean, you could get Real Muto and a prospect for Sanchez. I mean, they're just they're – just, fucking idiots over there so i agree with you right on i think your um your reasoning is right on and for that reason i think i'll just drop it right there terry i'll just add i i still lean towards sanchez i mean i wouldn't complain i guess if jt real muto came over i mean he's a five or six hole hitter which is about where sanchez hits and more than adequate offensively and defensively but i just I like the ceiling of uh, Sanchez, and and he's had one bad year out of three. So uh, another okay. Here's, go ahead. Here's where I really can I disagree with you, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I asked permission, like you're going to be like yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the Yankees are not built for what your ceiling is. They they just lost the AAL East, which you know bothers them. They lost to the Red Sox in the playoffs, which bothers them. And then the Red Sox won the World Series, which puts a a massive hair across their ass. So they don't give – like, I'm going to put on my Yankees hat here right now. They don't give a shit about what what your ceiling is. They're not talking about four years from now. Like, they need to get farther than the Red Sox. They need to get in the World Series this year. And to me, their moves need to dictate that. And so far, they've been smart because they haven't necessarily burned any assets. They're letting the market come to them, at least so far. Um, they, uh, you know, they need pitching help big time. And I, and and by the way, I think Real Muto is a factor there because he's just a better, he's a better baseball mind from what I know about him. Why, why are you going to keep Sanchez with Real Muto there when you have a surplus of assets? Like he makes you better right away. And they need to be better right away, and they need to be better in the spot that we're talking about. He he me, makes some like, he, he makes some better if if you're basing it entirely on on 2018. If you base it on 2016, 2017, Sanchez is by by far better, and still does have better numbers despite 2018 being bad. He does have better overall career numbers, so I'm yeah. that's who I'm sticking with. Real Muto is an 825 OPS. Sanchez's career is a 847. 
And I get it, Terry. I do. I just, to me, Real Muto's the sturdier player. The more, you know, not like a stock market ticker where it's up and down, like a straight vertical line. And to me, he offers a more complete player at, at one of, at probably the most important position. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at Sanchez, I mean, if I could just say something real quick. Yeah. When you look at what Sanchez is right now, he is by far, and I, I can honestly say this in my you know, for what I could remember watching baseball when I was four years old, from that point until I'm 25 now, both him and Greg Bird are probably the two most head-scratching, intriguing, disappointing. I, I mean, there's so many words I can use to, you know, utilize what they could potentially mean to a team like the Yankees because Greg Bird has all the talent. He's got the pretty swing. He can play first base, but he's never healthy. Sanchez is the same way, except it's not injury as much as being focused on the baseball field and having the overall focus both on the field and also off the field because there's been questions with him, as you both have stated. So when you look at it, it's almost like how long before they let go and say, you know what, we can't deal with this anymore because it's not what we can afford because we're trying to win a World Series because as we saw with the Red Sox, and you could just, I mean, you can go down the line of the teams that have won, the Red Sox, the Royals, you look at the Cubs, Astros, they all had defensive catchers who did not squirt the ball out. And look, I mean, prime example, the game against Houston, what killed them in that in that, uh, in that that conference championship? It was M- Maldonado not being able to block balls in both Verlander, McCullers, Cole. They weren't comfortable throwing the breaking stuff. They threw fastballs, and you guys feasted the entire series. True. True. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I just <laughs> I, I, I like the extra two years. And, and, Chris, your earlier point where, you know, they could extend Real Muto and kind of have a, a catcher long term that's a little bit cheaper, you know, there there is some attractiveness to that, but... I don't know. I just, I, you know, I guess I'm just hung up on 2016 and 2017. Um, also, the Braves had uh, a little bit of dialogue with the Marlins for, uh, you know, with uh, Real Muto, but they were unwilling to include Ozzy Al- Albies in the deal. So those I talks, them. <laughs> you would, I would not. I... Oh, okay. I would include him, Acuna. I, I, w- I would not do any of that. I'm sorry, but Ramuto is great. I know that he could help that team, but the Braves are at least another year away from being able to compete for a World Series. But honestly, I think getting McCann on that team is, you know, immensely better than almost anything else they could have gotten without giving up prospects because that guy, I mean, look what he did with Houston before they were in the World Series. You know, he was able to help that team and he. I mean, if you can if you can compare what they have between shortstop, second, center field. Le- I mean, it, it. I'm not saying that they're Houston, but they're pretty freaking close, and they're kind of built the same way of a young core. Right. We kind of talked about the um, McCann acquisition briefly, and I, I kind of compared him to David Ross at this point in his career. I, I think that's the role he will have. And, I like that. Yeah, 
and he's uh, you know he'll he'll be a leader you know for the for the young guys, especially if Mar- Markakis doesn't come back and um, he's not coming back. Yeah, so. <laughs> Right. Uh, so let's uh, shift over to uh, James Paxton and kind of get your thoughts on that. I like the deal. I think Paxton will help the team. He doesn't have to be the ace. He doesn't have to be the number two. He's going to be the number four guy, I would think. And, you know, if I'm thinking my head correctly, if we go out and get at least one more starting pitcher, no matter if it's Corbin or whomever, minus Keiko, I don't want Keiko, you would figure – if we can get Corbin, it would be Severino, Tanaka, Corbin, or switch, you know, switch Tanaka and Corbin, however you want to call it. Then you have Paxton, CC, and then the likes of six, seven, eight could be Loisiga, Herman, Chance Adams. You can go down the line, Michael King. But this this Yankee team right now sees how the defense, mainly in the infield, the outfield is pretty good when you look at Gardner, Hicks, and Judge. It's, I'm not saying it's the Red Sox outfield, but it's a good outfield. But the infield, we have questions at the corners because we don't know who our first baseman is. Andujar is still a work in progress. We don't have a shortstop at least until July, if not later, because of DG, you know, DD having Tommy John. And then Torres is an adequate second baseman. And then catcher, I mean, we just talked about Sanchez and his defense. So what are the Yankees trying to do? Well, you got Paxton, who had over 11 strikeouts per nine. You have a bullpen, which led, I think, had four of the top six guys with Chapman, Green, Britain when he was acquired. And then you have the likes of Severino, who can get strikeouts as well. What the Yankees are trying to do is get strikeouts, ground balls, not pop-ups. And that's what Paxton does. And I'm fine with what they gave up, to be honest with you. Yeah, I just feel like... I don't know. I mean, Paxton has his injury issues, and his um, ERA is is a run higher on the road compared to pitcher-friendly Safeco Park. And I like Tanaka a lot, especially in big games, but, you know, who knows with his health. And, um, you know, Uh, CeCe, you're hoping for the best. I mean, the health in what way? I mean, if you're are you questioning the UCL? With Tanaka? With Tanaka, yes. Well, that's one of them. And then didn't he have a uh, an issue with both of his quads last he, year? He had, he, had, he had problems with his hamstrings, but I'm not as concerned with that because every player you know, has a hamstring problem here or there. The UCL, I mean, I think of that argument as a... You know, almost like Tom Brady, where every year, oh, Brady's going to be bad because he's 38, he's 39, he's 40, he's 41. After a while, eventually you're going to be right because father time is always the winner. But, you know, right now, Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the league. But the reason why I mentioned that is because people have said now since the UCL, oh, he's going to blow out this year. And then, no, it's going to be next year. Then it's going to be the year after that. Maybe he just, Tanaka has found a way, which right now he has, where he has not torn the UCL. Whatever he's doing, it's it's. I think it's like a masterpiece in a way because he's avoided the injury for so long and he's remade himself from a guy who throws 94 to 95 to now who's 90 to 91 but relies more on that slider. And he stayed healthy. He, well, he scuffles a lot in the middle of the season especially and then he kind of does seem to figure it out 
you know, as you right. get closer to the playoffs. And I don't know. I just, with these Japanese guys, they tend to have a lot of miles on their arms before they get here. And I don't know. I just, he might be, he might be fine. But I just, I don't see, I don't think you exactly have that one-two knockout punch. Maybe with Severino, if he... If he gets consistent and, and Boone isn't leaving him in there for eight innings in April, May, and June, um, you know, maybe he kind of, you know, is is an ace for the full season. And then after that, I mean, you got a lot of very serviceable guys that could have a good season, but... I don't know. I just, and I don't think Corbin's necessarily the answer either. You know, he's unproven in a big market, and last year was his first real good year. He he was all right in 2013, I guess, but um, I don't know. I just, it's it's not a it's not an elite starting pitchers market this off season, anyway. But now, Jeremy, you've been so kind my, of quiet. My, yeah. yeah, my. Well, my well, I wanted to give Chris as much leash as possible because this is his team and he knows it better than I do. But uh, Chris and I have kind of an ongoing debate about Keuchel. Um, when you're a big market team, I always feel like it's best to go get the the player of need with dollar bills and not assets. So, let's say for example, you need a shortstop. And you can go get one for four years and sixty million. You'd rather do that than get a guy potentially also have to pay him, whether it be that year or a following year, or whatever, and assets, you know, players from your from your farm system. Now the Yankees still don't have a fifth starter, so they they still may do this. But my point and my input here would be the surprise that they went and spent assets when there are guys that are at least comparable that you could have gotten with just dollar bills. And being the Yankees, and they have all the dollar bills in the world, I was surprised to see that they spent the assets they did with the farm system um, over trying to go jump into the market quickly with with a starter. Um, so that I mean that's that's it. I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad move. Uh, Paxton as a Red Sox fan, because again, everything I like my analysis begins and ends on. How does this affect the Boston Red Sox? And to me, I'm like just not overly concerned about it. They still don't have a, a fifth guy. Uh, Paxton, to me, doesn't seem to be an elite guy. Um, I understand that he has, like uh, Chris mentioned, he has um, his strikeouts per nine innings are like 11-something. It's a good stat. Um, he's been pitching in Safeco in Seattle, which, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had the air conditioning pointed in from the outfield stands um that it's just a great place to pitch and and yankee stadium is not so i not uh, again i'm i'm you know that's kind of speculating like well how's he going to translate to yankee stadium he could be just as good he could be better he could be worse i don't know but um paxton does not fear me as a boston red sox fan so and you make a great point though about how you know we don't know how paxton is going to be when he gets into yankee stadium because sonny gray Amongst others, Carl Pavano, Jarrett Wright, Randy Johnson. I can go down the line of guys. Keigawa, who did not pan out in New York. Some guys do, some guys don't. And, 
you know, it's, you really don't know until you get them there. So that's kind of the argument of, oh, he, well, we don't know if this guy's going to pan out. Well, we don't know unless we get him there. But I get why I, I get why the Yankees traded away some of the prospects they did. Thompson is, you know, he profiles as a fourth outfielder, maybe a guy who can come off the bench with some power, like a Chris Carter. Swanson's a number four starter at best, but the Yankees weren't going to keep him on the 40-man, so he was expendable. And Sheffield, and I said this to Terry and others during the season, I was I was told at a young age, watch what, watch how a major league team, not so much the big moves, but watch the small moves. Watch what they do with signings here and there, no matter if it's just for a small player. Sometimes it speaks volumes about what they have in their system or even more. And what I saw from Sheffield, even during the time as he was going through the system up until he was called up, there were guys picked ahead of him, Loisiga. I mean, Chance Adams got a spot start over him at Fenway, albeit the Yankees still got swept. But that spoke volumes to me that they did not want to pitch him. He was their number one prospect, even at that point. So they were worried about his control. They felt like he really could not maybe handle the moment right now and probably for not the next couple of years command-wise. So they felt like, okay, our window is maybe three, possibly four years. Sheffield might not be ready until the fourth, if not fifth year, depending on, on you know, how his talent you know, dictates. And he could very well be a reliever at the end of the day. So let's trade him while his value is high, and let's get a guy for two years, get him on our team, and see if maybe he can get acclimated with the Yankees. But, I, I I get that a hundred percent, Chris. And like your knowledge of the minor leagues, you know, far exceeds mine. If we're being completely honest, um, and I get it. And, and you know, you're so like I agree with a lot of what you're saying, or or I don't have reason to disagree with it. Mm-hmm. My point is just simply this: Avaldi's on the market, Keuchel, Corbin, mm-hmm. other smaller players. Other guys that maybe only have one year left on a mid or small market team (laughs) where, where you can, you can spend less and get, you know, and, and spend more dollars and you're the Yankees. So why can't you go get a Valdi and Corbin and not trade the assets for Paxton? Now, obviously look, Cashman's smarter baseball guy guy than me. It just, that's my mindset. And that's why I was kind of curious about the deal as early as it was in the off season. Cause like Paxton, I didn't hear anything else about Paxton. I didn't hear the Red Sox were in on him. Nope. And, 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 and you may, you may about to, you know, Terry loves correcting me with stats, like right after I say <laughs> my point and just completely deflate my balloon. But, um, I, I didn't know, I didn't know Paxton was like, the only thing I heard was like the Yankees were immediately in on Paxton. And my thought is, remains today, which is like, because the market hasn't moved yet. No one, no one major has really signed. Yep. So, so it's like, well, why, why didn't they wait to see if they could get Avaldi for three and six and like forty-five, fifty, and then go get a? And I know you don't like Keuchel, so I won't use him. But what about <laughs> like Cart, you know, Corbin and on a Porcello deal, which is I yep. think four and eighty-two, and then you don't, and then you still have those guys in the system. But all and all you spent was dollar bills when you're the Yankees. You have more revenue than than like. 70 countries like it's just I'm, I'm just surprised by the deal and you know mm-hmm. that that's my point and, and you know you're going to talk about uh, minor leaguers and 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 things like I, frankly i just i'm not on the same level let me point out you mentioned earlier you know you you talked about sunny gray you know when you mentioned paxton i'm more worried i would more worried 
that Corbin would would end up in the the Sunny Gray dilemma than than well, Paxton. I, I just think Paxton's going to scuffle a little bit, you know, more so than what a lot of Yankee fans might expect. I, I mean, again, it's hard to speculate on. I mean, who's going to do well in you know New York and who isn't? It's it's a guessing game because. I mean, some guys translate who you think don't do well, and they do. Others you think are going to be great, and they're terrible. So it's it's you know it's one of those, it's one of those things where you can look at what their home and road splits are. You know how are they on this day's rest, that day's rest, and so on. But at the end of the day, it's all about what happens once they put on the uniform and get that first pitch out there. And you know, I think the first month will be assigned for Paxton to see if he can just get his feet under him and kind of just get used to being in New York. So I'm not too concerned if he gets out and has like a 9 ERA the first month. I'm not concerned with that. But if it's as bad as where Sonny Gray was, then you start having concerns. But until then, you know, I think, you know, if they can have him as their fourth or fifth starter, at least to begin the season, then I think it takes some pressure off him where he doesn't need to perform. And if the Yankees can get off to a hot start like the Red Sox did, or even what the Yankees did from, I think it was the end of April into the almost the beginning of June, where they were one of the hottest teams in baseball, I think that will take away some of the struggles that, I mean, all pitchers have during the season. I, I, I just on a, on a really small level, I really disagree with, like, you'd be okay with him starting with a nine. ERA like we're not you know Boston is not New York but we're pretty fucking close mm-hmm. and you need to get off to a good start because the media the fan base Twitter whatever they will eat you alive and spit you out and like you can have pockets of struggle later but you need to set the mindset of the media and the rabid fan base early that it's not too big for you and and I know we're kind of this is more like a philosophical like discussion about playing in big markets, but you have to go out and throw quality starts your first month. You have to, because and, and then because by the way, if if you are the type of person that's more neutral, and then all of a sudden you start hearing it, and you just didn't hear it in Seattle or wherever else you played, mm-hmm. like that can just squeeze you and become a become like a thing in your mindset and and and. And at some point, you may if you don't have like a like a uh, an elite starter or or period of time, that that initial uh, you know first date, so to speak, it, it, the the fan base will just never forget it, and you and you'll get you'll get eaten up. So, um, especially with Paxton, where like there was significant assets spent to get him, uh, not not by way of a big contract, but like you know the the the. The, the rabid fan base knows what, what was spent to get Paxton. And if he comes out and has a 9 ERA after a month, oh, my God, I'm salivating over here. I love it. I hope. I mean, I mean that's my hope. But I think you really got to set you know, uh, uh, the, the mindset right away that you're, it's not too big for you. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, we can speculate all day long, but uh... – yeah, and I think a lot of us uh, in the NLE, uh, ALE, excuse me, open up on the West Coast as well. So he he won't be getting to New York until probably I'm guessing what you know April 10th or so. Um, moving uh, over to one last uh, Yankee topic, or I should say New York topic rather. 
um, Robinson Cano over to the New York Mets from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Jay Bruce, Nick Swarzak was in the deal. You know, those are the major leaguers. And they account for roughly $37 million. And then an extra $20 million is being sent over with Cano uh, to make him only a $65 million player for the New York Mets. And uh, what are your thoughts on that, Chris, as well as the prospects that uh, you clearly know better than us? Well, first off, I appreciate the comment. I really do admire, you know, you guys liking how much I have no wife. And I just just read about prospects all day. But to go back to your comment, I, you know, first I'll talk about the Mets. I think for what they did, you know, they, they're they one of the few teams that can eat money, like the Yankees, the Phillies, and maybe some other teams, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. They used the assets that they had with the money and the prospects that they had left in their system and got what they needed, which was a power bat within the middle of that lineup because Cespedes is just, beyond the fact he might not even play next year, if not for most of the year, they were missing power. So Cano, albeit, is losing that mobility and range at second base or as a defender itself, he still can hit the you-know-what out of the ball. So if you could put him at first base, second base from time to time, that can help that lineup. Diaz, I mean, this is, I think, the second time the Mets have acquired a closer who, in the previous season, led the league in saves. If you remember right, they got K-Rod in that time. That following year, they went 70 and 92. So let's hope the Mets can, you know, can have a better season than that year. But I think it's a good move for the Mets. I was a little surprised that they maybe didn't wait and try to go out and get maybe a, a closer like a Kimbrel. I'm just naming closers like a Kimbrel, a Britton, a Miller. But the Mets wanted to pounce, and Brody knows Cano, and he felt like it could help him. Now, in terms of what the Mariners got, I don't care about Swarzak and Bruce. Those are just throw-ins. The two that I care about are Justin Dunn and Kalenic. Dunn is a kid that went to the gunnery in Connecticut, not too far from where I live, and he went to college at BC. He struggled his first couple years, but he had a dominant year the year he got drafted, and this is a kid with a power fastball. The breaking ball is legit, still searching for a third pitch, and if he can get that third pitch, he's a mid-rotation starter. If he doesn't get it, then he's a power reliever, more so in a, you know, a setup man to potential closer type because he has the makeup. But Kalenic, and I'm going to use a quote that a scout told me about because I asked him about Kalenic because he told me that he, I, you know, we were talking back and forth about okay, who, you know, who do you like in the deal? And he said I saw Kalenic, and he said, kid has a chance to be an Im- impact player with a power bat. I've known Jared Kalenic for. Over a few years, the kid will kill himself before he ever settles to be mediocre. He's going to be a dude. He has the incredible work ethic. So the Mariners needed prospects. They needed guys within their system to be able to put them forward and maybe hopefully get to the postseason for the first time since whenever it was in the late 2000s or early 2000s. So maybe this kid can lead that. But we'll find out hopefully within the next couple of years. Jeremy? Yeah. Um... Again, because Chris is just a little bit deeper into the prospect pool, I really and I would love to to be able to banter with you and have that level of knowledge. I don't, and frankly, it bothers me a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, 
my 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 big takeaway because Terry and I have kind of hit on this already, but just to say something new, I, I'm just shocked that Seattle got a player in this situation. I understand they had to throw in the elite closer to do it, and the prospects you're talking about. I, I just I'm still shocked. Um, I, by the way, when you say it's the Mets, now I'm not so shocked. Um, <laughs> they're a dumpster fire. Um, I feel bad for Mets fans. I I really do. Like I feel bad for Mets fans. Like I, because I'm I'm I don't have like second favorite teams teams. I'm so invested in Boston sports that I, I don't have time to worry about what other cities are doing, uh, other than to root for certain teams. I, I honestly sympathize with Mets fans. Like I feel bad. I see them in the grocery store down here in South Florida, and uh, and I'll be wearing my Red Sox hat, and I'll just look at them and say, like I'm sorry, and they'll look at me and go. I understand. It's like it's unbelievable. Like it's honestly unbelievable. Uh, and the fact that they took this, like Cano isn't a, a great offensive player. And I hope for the Mets fans' um, stand standpoint that Cano can get back on the juice and then just do it at a level where he doesn't get caught. He's 36 years old. Like, what can you really expect? Maybe one or two more good years, and then he's just old. And he he has elite bat speed and hands and. His swing is so effortless. It's like a golfer who can just just kind of has a loose swing that can pound a ball 300 yards with a driver. Like he's that type of guy, but he's still 36. And Chris, you already used the line: "Father time is undefeated." And I think you use Brady, which yep. isn't the best example when you're trying to describe how Father Time is undefeated, but it is. And and Cano, you know, he's getting old. And one of the things with Seattle is they came out pretty strong against the steroid things and, and really said some things that seemingly distanced themselves from, from Cano, despite the fact that he was still on the roster for five years and 120 million. So I'm not surprised they did everything they could to chop him. I'm just really surprised this is all it took to get out from underneath that contract. Well, it, I think it was time though. Like it, it was just, they had literally the number 30th ranked farm system in Major League Baseball, and, um, you know, they weren't, the A's were already, you know, they're already basically, you know, going to be a playoff team, you know, caliber team for the next three, four, five years, and the Astros are going to be good, and now is a perfect time to rebuild. And last year, they also had D. Gordon, who was playing very well at second base, and um, I think that kind of helped them distance them from Cano and you know and then I just think once once the offseason rolled around Jerry DePoto kind of knew uh that you know he he wanted to rebuild um one question before we move on Chris do you like Manny Machado at 300 million or do you take Cano at sixty-five million. Oh, I think I lost. What was that, Terry? Terry, Terry you're breaking up. Yeah, Terry, you're like really breaking. bad. Okay, and I didn't hear your hypothetical. My bad. Uh, it all went into the uh, the uh, recording program. Fine. Let me uh, switch to four G. <laughs> Again. I think I'm back, but uh, this is uh, a new phone, so I'm not. 
think. That's right, just getting out the kinks. Yeah. That's... Terry, you sound much better. Throw the hypothetical out. Me and Chris will discuss it while you figure your thing out there. Yeah, definitely. No, because it's already... One second. Hopefully this part's not on the podcast because this is not good radio. No, it's not, but... Let's, uh, still can't get it. Stop the periscope anyway. For anyone listening, I do apologize. I got a new phone today, and that's what's, uh, causing the problems. You get an iPhone? He went Samsung. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, can't. Okay, nope, thought I had it. <laughs> if I have my hand on it, it's fine, and then when I take it off, it's not. Well, what my question was, was... Um, would you take Cano at sixty-five million or Manny Machado at three hundred million? Uh, is can there be a third option? Nope. Yeah, is there a third? Nope. Neither. No, I gotta take one. Yeah. I uh, I go Machado just because I think Cano. It's still sixty-five. But it's still five years. Like it, it doesn't take away the term. Uh, Machado's in the prime of his career, and if you're in a win now situation, I think you got to take Machado. He's he's an elite player. He's probably a top what five or eight offensive player or overall player, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So for me, it'd be Machado. Now, with that said, I think Machado's an absolute scumbag, and I think he um, has zero marketability to people that are paying attention because he's just he's just a dirty player. On the opposite end of the spectrum. Cano has already proven to have tested positive for steroids, and a lot of people consider that cheating. I don't. Um, but I also think, like, to the extent that he's 36 years old, he's going to have to find a way to, to you know, <coughs> train this little steroid. So it's, for me, it'd be neither, but I guess if I had to pick a side, it'd be Machado. Yeah, I'm just being fairly, I guess. This has been a nightmare. (laughs) I've never not been able to resolve it. I've never uh, not been able to resolve uh, a technical like this. better now or not. Sound fine. Yeah, but there's a... You don't hear the feedback, though? The buzzing? Nope. I don't. No. No feedback. Oh, well, it's just me, then.
Sometimes if you position the device just right, it ends up working, but... Terry, can you cut this out, or, or is the listener going to have to go through the, listening to this? Uh, unfortunately, the latter. Hang on, I'm going back to Wi-Fi. So why don't we just call it and end, the inter and end tonight's podcast? You there? Yeah. All right. Yeah, it went away. Um, yeah, it happened right after uh, right after I switched over to 4G. Um, all right, uh, I'm just going to keep going with it. Um, we're going to switch over to uh, Corey Kluber now. Um, he's been connected to the... Let's see, he's been connected to the Mets and the Dodgers. I don't really feel like the Mets are going to be realistic because I don't think they really have the pieces. I thought he only had maybe a year or two left. However, he has he signed through 2019 and then has team options for uh, 2020 and 2021 at really cheap money. $17.5 million, $18 million. I, I mean, can the Mets pull that off? Um, I don't care. I hope they do because it gets them out of the American League. <laughs> so, again, Terry, you and I have talked about this. Chris already said it tonight. Every one of these um, hypotheticals begins and ends with, for me, what's the effect on the Boston Red Sox? Okay, get him out of the American League. Bye. Like go be nasty somewhere else. Uh, the money is realistic, and I and and with two years of, um, or I'm sorry, three years of term left. So he has a three-year, uh, fifty-four million dollar deal. I mean, Jesus, if they're offering him and we have the assets, I'd go trade for him if I'm the Red Sox. But you know, uh, if it's it, you know if it's out of the American League, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm a little bit like. Why do the Cleveland? Why does Cleveland want to even do this? Like he's so good, he's a two-time top three Cy Young finisher. Like it just doesn't make any sense on 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 realistic money. Like I don't get it. Yeah, and I mean that's an excellent point because I mean look at who the Indians have already lost. Um, they've lost. Let's see, uh, Lonnie Chisenhall. Yep. Yeah. Brantley, Cody Allen, Jan Gomes, and uh, did I say Cody Allen? Miller probably won't be back. Right, won't be back. So they've lost. They've lost all of those guys, and now they want to trade away Kluber. I just and I mean, I was also thinking as well. I mean, what's what's it going to take to win the AL Central? I mean, eighty four, eighty five games might get it done. Well, I think that's why if you look at the Indians, they see that they have at least another year to be able to not have, you know, they don't need to have the best team in terms of the division because Kansas City's rebuilding, Detroit's rebuilding, Minnesota, who the heck knows what they're going to, I mean, they just they, they just fired their manager and just brought in a new one in Rocco Baldelli, so we don't know what's going to happen with them, and the White Sox, albeit, you know, are they going to take that next step? And they've been rumored to go after guys like Machado and even Harper to a certain degree. So 
if you're the Indians, you feel like, okay, if we trade either Carrasco or Bauer or Kluber, if we trade one of them and try to, you know, to at least to a lesser degree, get back major league talent that can help us win now and for the next couple years, it's worth trading because when you have a small, or rather when you're a small market team like Cleveland, I mean, you kind of have to look at these moves because I'm telling you right now, they're not going to keep Lindor. Ramirez, albeit under an affordable contract, they're not going to keep him when his contract is up. So, you know, it comes to a point where I get, you know, trading away a guy like Kluber Hurts or Carrasco or Bauer, but you have to do it if you're the Cleveland Indians because it's hard to – I mean – they're not the Red Sox. They're not the Yankees. They're not the Dodgers. They just can't keep going after it year after year after year. The prospects they gave up to get guys like Andrew Miller and you know even guys like Brad Hand to a certain degree, they gave up talent from their system, and it's hard to get that back, and it takes them a couple years to go through the draft to get that. So if they trade Kluber to, let's say, the Mets and get a Peter Alonzo, a Steven Matz to a certain you know degree – I would do that if they can get a little bit more because then Mats goes to their rotation. Peter Alonzo, who's a first base prospect, went to Florida. He can play first base and has a lot of power, good approach at the plate, and that gives them something to have for the next four, five-plus years. Yeah, it's painful, but uh, the diehard Cleveland fans have to hate it, though. Yeah, they have to, but here's an idea. Go to the games and help your team because <laughs> there were times that they were winning and still winning. Actually, I shouldn't say they were. They're still winning, but nobody goes to the games. So they want to complain about their stars leaving. Well, here's an idea. Go watch them so they can keep those players because Cleveland has shown when they made it to the World Series and they lost to the Cubs, they used that revenue that they got from the World Series and they signed the bird, Edwin Arcanacion. So to say that they don't use their money, I would say no, they do. But Cleveland doesn't want to help them at least a little bit more. But I'm not in Cleveland, so I can't speak fully. They're trying to avoid the purgatory that the Orioles and the um, you know Marlins and now the Mariners are going through. But it's just it's just such a tightrope to have to walk and hope that it all comes out right. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I don't know that I have too many more thoughts. I Cleveland, they they have an elite manager. Um, they have some pieces that have kind of gone off by the wayside. They they went from being what was it, you know, an inning away from winning a World Series to really not being in the upper echelon anymore. The Astros are not going anywhere. The Red Sox are not going anywhere. The Yankees are not going anywhere. Um. They, Chris highlighted that they, they're in the uh, easiest division in Major League Baseball, so they're probably going to be there. But it's it's one of those things where just is being there enough, or can you admit to yourself that you're not you're not elite enough to win an actual championship? So, um, you know, and if you're going to say to yourself that you can't, then then go take the steps to rebuild now rather than shoot two empty shots over the next two years and and now you have to completely empty the cupboard 
and you have to rebuild anyways, but you wait two years, even though you know you don't have a chance to win a World Series. So, I mean, a lot of that's, pro- that, that's probably the analysis going on in Cleveland, and I understand it. Um, not, you know, I, I mean, I understand it. I just, you're still good enough that if you get hot and you got an elite manager and you have an elite player like Kluber and some other pieces, it just seems to me you're, you're blowing it up a year too early. Um, so, but that, that's my thought. I, maybe they think they don't have any chance at Miller. I mean, um, you know, Chris, maybe you could chime in on that because I, I don't really, I haven't really heard too much of the market on Miller. I, I assume just like a third of the league's in because he's that good. But if he's, if, if they, if they realistically think that they can get him and even if they can maybe say, save a little bit of money because he likes Cleveland, I, again, I don't know the answer to that. It just seems like it's a year early to blow it up, but you know. That's me. The market for Miller right now is the Braves and the Phillies. I haven't seen a lot of other teams really rumored. It's mainly been those two teams, and periodically enough, it's been from the NL East. But I think Cleveland, when they acquired Brad Hand and gave up their best prospect in terms of position-wise and Francisco Mejia to the Padres, they did that move because they felt like, okay, we're going to lose Cody Allen and Andrew Miller. But more than likely, we can put Brad Hand in that position, in that closer's role, and still feel like we can compete. And, you know, I, I get your point, you know, blowing it up a year early, you know, is probably maybe not the smart thing, at least while you have a contending team right now. But, again, I'm going to go back to your point with, you know, the, the Patriots. And I'm a Cowboys fan. I love what you guys do back in Massachusetts. You always trade guys or get rid of them a year early rather than a year late. And I'm not saying for people who are listening that are Cleveland fans that Kluber is going to all you know all of a sudden become this terrible pitcher that's going to have to retire because he can't throw a baseball. I'm not saying that. But if you have a chance to get talent, you're better off doing that now while he's at his peak because you got to remember, Kluber over the last four, maybe five years has thrown 200-plus innings. He has a lot of miles under that arm. And the last two years specifically in the postseason, he has shown that when he gets to the postseason, he wears down and he's basically a dead duck because his arm is just so many innings. And, you know, you get to that point where when does that affect the arm speed and the breaking ball? How many more times can you be in that top echelon of the Cy Young? And Kluber has been that. But if you're Cleveland, sell high now before the stock drops because once the stock drops – especially in baseball because we're talking about human people and not stocks in New York, they don't go back up. They typically just continue on going down. All right, three points, starting with your last point. I agree. Um, But on the money that he's on, it just – you have to factor that in. Two, um, at this point, I think you're using – minor league names and you could be making them up and I wouldn't know because I've just never heard of these people. <laughs> I'm not making them up. No. I, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm ready to list. I'll Google later and I'll send you a scathing email if I feel like you're lying to our listeners. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm impressed and, and it, I mean, obviously I need to take the next step to start to learn some of these organizations a little bit deeper now that I'm doing the podcast because I feel like I know Major League Baseball really, really well. 
Um, but you're, 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 you're crazy, man. You, you got some, you got some information. So you're a great asset to our podcast and thanks for coming on again. Um, and the third point I now forget, um, but I, I, and your analogy to the Patriots is not wrong. Um, except it's not football, it's baseball and Kluber's contract just makes just a shit ton of sense. And so, honestly, if they're dangling him for, like, a major league player and two assets, I really hope the Red Sox are in on him. Well, he should come, even at, he'll be 33 years old just after the season starts, but with three years remaining at that cheap of money, he should command close to a Chris Sale level deal, and Four out of the last five years, he's finished top three in the Cy Young voting. Two two of those years were, you know, were first place finishes. So he's just one of those guys who's pitching very well into his uh, into his now mid thirties almost. And I oh. mean, unless they want to unless they want to trade Lindor, I mean, that's the only other guy who could net somewhat of a haul. And they have had discussions with the Dodgers, and I guess the rumored trade package was, number one, Yasiel Puig, who always seems to be in a trade package. They just can't get rid of that guy. Number two was Alex Wood, who, you know, is a on a good year. He's probably a number two or number three. And then uh, Chris would probably be a little more familiar with Yadier Alvarez. I think he's a catcher. Uh, in, in the minor leagues, but that that was the package that was discussed and so far has not been agreed upon. You said from the Dodgers, right? From the Dodgers. Terry, Terry, I take offense to the fact that you think that I wouldn't know who Yadier Martinez is. Well, it's, I, I don't on, even on the same on the same <laughs> conversation. I have no idea who that guy is. My, I remember my third point. <laughs> um, Kluber's. Kluber's mechanics are really technically sound. He doesn't he doesn't throw like Sale's plant leg is basically in the Boston Red Sox on deck circle, and then he has to whip across to get the ball to home plate. That that creates a tremendous amount of stress on a whole different I'm sorry, a whole bunch of different points on his body, most of which his shoulder, which obviously is coming to fruition with the last two seasons of um, injury issues. Kluber is like, if the benchmark is Maddox, right? Because Maddox was like so freaking sound. It was it was kind of annoying. Like he finished like he was all of a sudden a shortstop. That's not, and Kluber's not like that techn- technically sound, but he's really, really good. And I just feel like guys like that technically, I'm sorry, typically are better later in their career. Um, and then he for, he has two things that two elite things that I think will also factor. Number one, balls. He's tough as nails. Uh, he 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 just doesn't give a fuck. I love guys like that. By the way, I'm a huge Kluber fan. If you haven't picked up on that yet, and then and then the other thing that's a huge factor is uh, elite location. And so he can lose a little bit, but when you're locating like he can, uh, just like. Maddox and Glavin, who both pitched in almost a. Actually, I think both guys pitched in their year forty year, if I recall correctly. I could be wrong. Terry's about to throw stats at me. Um, I, I that's the way I look at Kluber, and I could be wrong. I mean, I'm 
wrong all the time, so what the hell. But to me, that's the way I look at Kluber. Chris, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I stated before, Cleveland's in that sticky situation where do we sell off one guy and try to, you know, I'm going to steal what Jerry DePoto said. We're not retooling, we're re well, the Mariners are retooling. They're rebuilding. They're tearing it down completely. So I don't see Cleveland doing that right off the bat. But I hate to say this, you know, if if Cleveland realistically is not going to sign Lindor and they feel like that they have a chance to win this year and then this year's the final year with contracts and salary and everything else, I mean, why wait and just lose Lindor and get back very little in terms of you know, picks and money because of the new collective bargaining agreement, depending on who signs him because of the team who signs him, the luxury tax goes over, yada, yada, and everything. But why not just trade him while he has at least two years of service left on his contract and get back a haul rather than trading him with a year left and almost running into the situation of the Paul Goldschmidt with the D-backs where they could very well trade him, but they're not going to get back the value that they should because teams now view that one year left on the deal being that like biggest problem more so than even what they've done on the field yeah and that's an excellent point you know why why half-ass it uh it's it's so hard to replace you would need two above average players to adequately replace what Lindor can do by himself and um you know that's not an easy thing. So, I, I would I would absolutely, um, you know, dangle him out there at the very least. Do you think he could possibly have better value, maybe in July, more so than he might right now? He could. It just all depends on you know what you know what teams are looking for at the deadline i mean relieve you know relievers more so than starting pitchers are going to be the biggest wants because we're getting to that age where starting pitching is starting to become less of a thing and now it's okay how fast can i get to the bullpen how quickly can i go to my my opener or how how quickly can i go to my second guy my third guy you know i mean you're not going to see the opener in terms of chris sale Corey cooper and others but when it comes to the third, fourth, and even some fifth starters to a certain degree, you, you might not see the starters last that long. So, you know, if, if a team's looking for a shortstop that can, you know, he's – Lindor's the top echelon. I mean, I saw a discussion during the season about who's better. Is it Lindor? Is it Correa? They put Machado in there, which I didn't understand because he's not a shortstop. He's a third baseman. But I picked Correa over Lindor, but it's not like Lindor is that far behind by any means. So any team that has a chance to get him for at least two and a half years, you would have to think the value for him has to be somewhere in the line of a top one, two, and three best prospects in your system, plus more because of what he means to your team and what he could do for the next two and a half years. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see you know what Cleveland does you know throughout the start of the year if if maybe the twins kind of catch fire early and and build up a lead it'll be interesting to see how much more Cleveland is willing to uh, sell off 
you mentioned Goldschmidt, so uh, we can just kind of make that the the last segment here. Um, he, he's, you know, got one year left, and he's coming into his uh, age 31 season, so not, I mean, he's he'll kind of be you know, barring health issues, and I don't see why we would have any, you know, he'll be at about the Donaldson phase of his career when he does hit uh, free agency. But uh, here's some mock trades that I found on uh, Sports Illustrated. So, Chris, just tell me, tell me if these are any good or not. A guy named uh, Ben Reeder, I'm going to guess is how he pronounces it. Reeder. Okay, <laughs> he knows he knows obscure sports writers too. Show off! <laughs> he's, hey, he's in Baseball America. I read his writings all the time. I'm okay, just reading them today. Well, I I have a feeling you're you might like his trade. Then uh, his mock deal is with the Astros, and for for the Astros to get Goldschmidt, they're going to have to give up J P Buskaskis. I I don't know. Bukakis uh, from Carolina. Okay. Carolina. And uh, so he's the, the first player in there. Dean Dietz is the second one, and Garrett Stubbs is okay. the third one. Is that is that a haul for Goldschmidt? No, not even close, because J.B. You know, Bukakis is at best a reliever. The other two are the second and third tier of the Astros prospects. They're not even getting... The D-backs are not even getting the best guys out of them because, again, Paul Goldschmidt's in his last year of his deal. They're not going to get back equal value. If I'm the Astros, I'm pulling the trigger on that 150 times and then 300 on weekends because what he can be in that middle of the lineup, even I get Goldschmidt struggled for the first half of the year. He came off in the second and really kind of lived up to his numbers. But you put him in that lineup with what they have, from one through seven, maybe one through eight, depending on who's pitching that day, he helps that lineup immensely. And if you're the D-backs, you kind of have to look at, okay, what can we get? What's the max value? And realistically, Bukakis is the lower-level guy on the Astros' depth chart in terms of prospect value because they're they're pretty deep. But if you put him in the D-backs, he ends up being, I mean, I'm not the prospect whiz, so I can't tell you exactly where he would end up. But with all the guys they gave up at the deadline to try to keep their momentum going last year, albeit they didn't make the playoffs, he would jump up, I would say, somewhere between, uh, I would say between nine to five, maybe even higher, because he's almost major league ready now. He could come up and be your reliever starting next week because he's got that fastball slider combination. All right. And uh, here's the second of the four. Uh, This one, Emma. Bacellieri, I'm gonna guess is how she pronounces that. Sports <laughs> Illustrated, know you know, hires some complicated know. names. Yeah, well, she her her deal uh, comes from the Cardinals, and that's a, a team he's been connected with. Uh, okay, a catcher, Andrew Neiser, Neiser. I don't know. Um, he's a stud guy. He's a stud guy. No single A. Oh, single A guy. Oh, okay. And uh, Connor, I uh, can't even read my how own could writing. You, how, hold on, hold on, Terry, hold on. Yes. How the fuck could you possibly know that? Because I just I read, mean, 
<laughs> this is I'm, send me the. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna text you my email. I want you to start sending me these links because I got some homework to do. He, he's he's Rain <laughs> Man. You're, you're talking to Rain Man. Yeah, no, I get it. Like you know, Jesus, Connor uh, Capel. Is that it? I can't read my writing. He's an outfield prospect. So those are the only two players that she thinks Goldsmith is worth out of the Cardinal system. I'm guessing that's not overwhelming. No, you said, what was the other last name? You, you said Connor who? Capel. Capel. I don't know. Can't even remember. Now, I, I, I could be wrong here, but that that player's not even in their top 30 from what I read last week. So now the other player you mentioned, now what was his name again? I wrote down the last name. What was his first name? Andrew. Yeah, he's he's a, he's in the top ten. He's their number five prospect. So I could see why she put the second player as someone not even in their top third. So and they, I mean that would make sense. That's a little bit higher than what the Astros are giving up. But okay, and they do have a need for a catcher for sure. They do. They yeah. do. Which is which is why you would ask for the catching prospect, and he's number five in their system. Yeah. All right. And here's the third deal, uh, John Taylor. Easy one. Uh, also, what what's that? What team is this uh, with? This also comes out of the Cardinals. Uh, he's offering up uh, first base and outfield prospect Jose Martinez, and then right-handed pitcher Dakota Hudson. Well, Martinez is a major league guy right now. He plays first base for the Cardinals. Dakota Hudson came up. I think it was, what, three-fourths through the season, along with Ponce de Leon, Flattery, and others. Uh, I mean, that's that's a deal unlike the other two where it's basically major league for major league. Like, you're getting major league talent now. And Dakota Hudson could pitch in their rotation as soon as they acquire him. So that's a deal where it kind of makes sense. But then the D-backs are saying, are we – you know we're we're rebuilding, but then we're also going for it at the same time. Where the other two deals were, we're going to retool, but we're going to compete maybe next year, or the year after. Okay. So that's kind of what that deal is talking about. And they they have a pitcher named Martinez, though, don't they? Is it Carlos Martinez? Correct. The Cardinals. They have yeah. Carlos Martinez. Yeah. Correct. I got him mixed up. Um, all right, and then the last deal uh, comes from Gabriel Baumgartner, which on paper does not look a lot like Baumgartner. It sounds similar. And uh, his deal comes from the Yankees. And Whoa. yeah, uh, here we go. <laughs> I don't think this is going to be a good one, but he's, he's offering up Greg Bird, who will probably spend two-thirds of the year on the DL. And... Uh, Estevion uh, Floriel, who's an outfield prospect, I guess, with you guys. Not doing it. Nope, not doing it. So he's good. It's not, it's, it's not even that Floriel is good. I mean, he's a five-tool player, and he he's he's probably he has the highest ceiling of any prospect I've read in the Yankees system in terms of position player, huh. at wow. least in the last five to six years. But it's more so that again, it's a one-year rental. I would not sign Goldschmidt long-term because he's over the age of 30 now. Why give up your best prospect position-wise and Greg Bird, who, albeit injury-prone, you know, injury but you just never know. This could be the year that he's going to be healthy 
for a one-year rental. I would not do that deal at all if I'm the Yankees, and I don't think they're going to do it. I'm surprised that person wrote that. Okay. No disrespect. No no disrespect to Bumgarner, but I think that person wrote that to get some likes or retweets or whatever because that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Well, I uh, I'm I'd like to think I know some of you guys as prospects, but Florial was not on my radar, so. Um... Now I know. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Chris to start throwing in f- fun facts. Like the Devil Rays' seventy third prospect overcame a reading disability in third grade. <laughs> into you know, like the, the information is unbelievable. Like uh, it really is. Like uh, you know, I, I clearly need to uh, start doing some homework. My input here, if anything, um, is the Diamondbacks are another problem franchise to me. Yep. Um, like just spend some, spend some fucking money. God damn it! Like it just ruins baseball. And in the American League, when the run was over in like what mid August, you knew what the team, who the teams were going to be, and there was some like you know where was it going to slot in? Who was going to be the second wild card team? And there was less of that in the National League. The National League was actually quite riveting, so it goes against my point. So I'm using the American League. Um, it just I just hate teams like the Devil Rays, like the Marlins, like these teams that that just don't hold ground when they have talent and allow themselves to just go back into the in, into mediocrity. When if you spend some dollar bills, like you you know, and I don't know exactly what the the negotiations were two years ago when they could have bought out Goldschmidt's uh, arbitration years. But this is just, you know, I'm, I'm a small to mid-market team feeding the next major market team. And it just makes, you know, again, Chris used football earlier. I know Terry is not a big fan of football analogies. But, like, every single year there's teams that you don't expect in it in, in the NFL. Yep. And there's so much more parity, I think, is the key word. There's no fucking parody in Major League Baseball, and it really and I, and like I'm fortunate because I'm I'm born and raised a Red Sox fan, so I'm not struggling with it. Like my team's in the mix every year, and if we have a bad year, we're back the next year. But like these, like if I'm an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, this is so goddamn frustrating that you're just dangling him just to get rid of him because he's in the last year of his deal, and you know you're not going to try to sign him. You have there's talent on that squad, like. They're, they're actually like a player or two away from really being competitive. And instead of going and getting that player, we're talking about dealing Paul Goldschmidt. It, it's, it's, there's something wrong with baseball, and, and it's for a different podcast about how to fix it. But like this team should be going and adding a player, not getting rid of a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. And I love the words you use, parody. And I've said this for quite a while that there's the, there's the premier teams – like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, the Dodgers, and maybe occasionally one or two others depending on the year. But then you have the bottom dwellers of the teams that know they're not going to win it. So instead of going for it and then costing themselves maybe even longer droughts, they figure, you know what, we'll tank for five years, put out bad products, and then when we're good in year four and five, that's when it's like, oh, you know what, we can do it. I think what hurt – I see. I don't want to say it hurt Major League Baseball, but I think because of sports being a copycat league, people saw what Houston did in terms of, you know, I'm re- I'm currently reading Astro Ball right now about how Houston 
went from being one of the worst teams ever to now being one of the best teams, at least on paper, that there has been during my time on this, you know, in this earth. And I think what what hurt the game in that sense, because I'm going to use that word kindly hurt, is that it succeeded for them, that they were so bad, and now people are copying them. The Cubs did it, and now you're seeing other teams as well. The Reds, the Brewers did it up until the last year, year and a half. So it would not shock me because the collective bargaining agreement, I think, is over. I Don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's 2022 or 2023. Don't so don't be surprised if you see something where you're going to see maybe a little wrinkle of, okay, if you're going to tank, you're going to get this sort of penalty or knock against you because, you know, the ratings are not great with baseball right now. People are not going to the games, and you can't have this, you know, same five, six, seven teams every year because eventually we're talking about the NBA. And no offense, I can't stand the NBA, right? Well, I can now because now there's different teams at least right now, who are being better than others. But, you know, Major League Baseball, there's there should be a lot more parity because of the amount of games and just the overall wear and tear of the season. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And this is a topic for a different podcast, but just to, to lead into that potential future podcast. You want to penalize the teams that are willing to spend money. And I get that because if you don't, the the really top end teams will just go hog wild and and you're going to get what you got in the 90s and early 2000s there has to be a penalty for being a shit just a shit bag organization so you know again topic for another podcast but i'm sorry but if you're back to back to back last place you don't get a first round draft pick like go spend some fucking money and and put yourself in a position to win some goddamn ball games and make the sport better and bring the shitty teams back to the middle. I'm not even saying be elite. Just bring them back to the middle a little bit so that so that this sort of stuff with Paul Goldschmidt doesn't happen. Because I'm telling you right now, if 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 there was a penalty in place for what the, the Diamondbacks are about to be for the next five years, they they'd be talking about signing Paul Goldschmidt. They wouldn't just be talking about what they're gonna do, which is trade him by the deadline. So, I, you know, it just it pisses me off. And maybe if I was a Devil Rays fan, um, like another co-host for the program, you know, I would I would be talking differently and I'd be frustrated and they try and they do their best, but they just don't have the, you know, but there's revenue sharing. Like the money's there. It just seems like a cop out. And I just can't stand that the bottom third of the league just just allows it to be what it is, which is a money grab uh, revenue thing where they're running a the supermarket. They're running a goddamn supermarket. They don't give a shit about the product. They don't give a shit about winning. And this is a perfect example of that. You know, I think I'm. I don't want to put the Diamondbacks quite in the same group as uh, Tampa. I mean, they did spend two hundred and thirty something million on Zach Greinke, and 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 Hazen got hired there at the start of last year, and. You know, wheeled and dealed pretty good. You know, he brought in Steven Souza and traded for Brad Boxberger. And, you know, both those players had issues with health as well as mechanics. But, um, and then taken also into the fact that they're going to be moving into a new stadium in 2022 that's a little better situated within the Phoenix area. I think that's going to be you know um, no worse than a mid-market 
team and and possibly you know if the if the fan base responds that you know it could potentially be a big market team at some point um so you know they hazen came in you know at you know at a weird time similar to how depoto came in with the mariners and and you know so they have to kind of clean up some of the previous uh you know regime's mess and and um you know we'll see but you know just to super briefly touch on your you know your small market thing and how teams tank you know i see both sides of it you know it shouldn't be purpose you shouldn't have a team with an overall 15 to 20 million dollar payroll i mean that's pretty bad but but at the end of the day, also, you're still going to have your 60 and 70 win teams. I mean, that's just how the math is going to shake out. And you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be the same team. I mean, and by the way, my, my thought here is not some novel thought. Like, I'm, you know, European soccer leagues relegate teams into different yep. leagues. That's a great point. So, so and I mean... Not, North American sports are never going to allow that because of the the elite dollar bills available to the to the major four sports uh, fran- uh, leagues and then franchises within each league. So we're not talking about relegation, but I mean it's not some novel idea. And you 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 could imagine if you're about to be relegated into let's say the AAA of European soccer, you're you're let's say and I don't know how many. Using baseball numbers, let's say you're 60 and 92, right? And you got you got 20 games left or whatever it is. You're gonna try to win those fucking games. I mean, you're doing everything you can to stay where you are. You're doing everything you can to bump up a league um, uh, or stay within that league, or or using a baseball reference, stay out of last place and bump that next team. And so what happens is you're playing. Uh, but now you're playing the Red Sox, you're playing the Astros, and it's September 12th, and you and you need to win. You know, you need to go 500 just to just to stay out of some sort of penalty. Those games are going to be more competitive. You're not going to be focused on. And another thing I hate, by the way, and again, a topic for another podcast. I hate the September call-ups and like 74,000 people on your bench because like the Orioles are, are going to throw. They're going to try to see what they have. And they don't care about winning the games. They, at that point, they they're going to lose 115 games. They don't give a shit. So they're just out there trying to see what they have. Well, that's a problem. That's not it's not a good thing. That's a problem. And you got to create something, some some cheese or in front of the mouse or some rabbit in front of the in front of the you know the dog or whatever it is. But you need to you need to create goals for teams that otherwise aren't trying to still win a championship because of their position in the particular season. I'm not a fan of the September call-ups either, but and I think it it you know it takes away from the integrity of uh, you know of a tight playoff race as well. Um, so where where where's just to kind of wrap this all up? Where does Goldschmidt go? I'm saying the Astros. I hope he stays in Arizona and they expend dollars in other areas and try to keep what they have. I mean, Corbin obviously is going to price himself out of Arizona, and I get that. 
I'd like to see him stay in Arizona. I'd like another team to be competitive because he leaves and his production leaves. I mean, he's a, he's really a six-time All-Star, three gold gloves, four silver sluggers. I mean, he's an elite player. And he's gone under the radar because he's in Arizona. But, like, stay in Arizona and, and, be, and keep one more team competitive because that's what's best for baseball. So that's what I'm, I mean. I'm probably wrong. I'm wrong, but uh, yeah, I mean. he's not staying. I mean, if he was, if he was younger, I think they may they may take a, a longer look at investing in him. But I, I don't want him to go to the Yankees because I mean, it, unless it means they're not going to have a fifth starter. Because if he goes to the Yankees, that that that, that lineup is so robust. It's so well rounded. It's so deep, and I'm not even talking about the first nine guys. Right. But if they if they if they go get him at first base, and they have and they add somebody like Keiko and Corbin, and they are they've already added Paxton. I mean, I think that at that point you just have to start thinking that maybe the Yankees have jumped ahead of the Red Sox. Chris, what are I- your thoughts? I think he's going to go to Houston. I think if he goes to New York, yeah, does it help their power? Yeah, I mean, you add anybody of that ilk, it's going to help with them, you know, power-wise, home runs, etc. You would think that his home runs might spike because he's hitting in a ballpark that's 200 feet left and right. I mean, I could throw the ball over from home plate. It's not that hard. But realistically, you look at their lineup would be so right-handed. You know, it just comes to the point where – it's you, you need to get a couple lefties in there to kind of split it out, but I think their focus more so is going to be on, you know, like you've mentioned, going after pitching. And, you know, a side note about Patrick Corbin, and I learned about this a couple days ago. Did you know in 2016 when the D-backs made the playoffs, Corbin did not pitch in the playoffs? Did you know that in uh, 2016? I, I did not. I think I did. Yeah, pitch. He didn't pitch. Well, I mean, Grinky, Robbie yeah, Ray, Grinky. who was basically their ace anyway. Yeah, and, and then Godley. Godley, right. And, and, then, they, got and they, got, they got swept, yeah, absolutely. Or they lost three, sorry. So, yeah, Corbin didn't even pitch. And albeit, I know, you know, it was when he was still coming back from Tommy John and he wasn't at his full strength. But, you know, and he's better now than he was in 16, but... You know, I've heard people throw that argument out there that, you know, he didn't even pitch on that postseason roster, at, in, you know, during that time. So that's just a little side note I'd like to give out to the people who are listening. Yeah, I think I think that's Sonny Gray all over again, unfortunately. I, you know, I, I could be wrong, but, you know. He won't know unless he puts on the pinstripes and steps on the mound. He won't know. He can rack up the strikeouts, that's for sure. But we'll see. He, he's a lefty who can throw hard and has a good slider. That typically can bold well compared to maybe righties who don't bold, you know, bold well as much in the AL East. But then again, you know, it's it, it's a crapshoot. I mean, the only the only guys I could say whoever if they were to come to New York, the only ones that I think would be able to bold well in that environment, I can count on one hand, and that's two lefties, Sale and Bumgarner. I can't think of anyone else right now who could pitch well that I know presently right now without feeling like there'd be some doubt. Those two are the only ones. Not David Price. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just Come kidding. on. I had to get my David Price singer in. Jeez. 
All right. Well, he does hold all the cards now. He so. does. He does. So, Chris, does. you ought to you ought to kick the tires on him. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I guess we'll wrap it up on that. It was a weird show. Um, uh, sorry for everyone who stuck through it. Uh, hopefully, I I will just tell everyone right now. I am um, upgrading my Wi-Fi tomorrow. And uh, I just got to go pick the modem up, actually. So that will cool. hopefully uh, solve everything. <laughs> and uh, but uh, we'll we'll know for sure, I guess, on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. But Chris, thanks again for coming on. We didn't even go over your stuff. Where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram underscore smoke underscore Saunders. They could also follow me on YouTube or subscribe to me. That's where all my play-by-play is for all the high school and collegiate games I do in Connecticut, as well as summer baseball for the Bristol Blues. And you can also follow me on Facebook, Christopher Saunders. Very good. Well, all right, guys. Uh, Have a good night, and uh, we'll uh, see what the rest of the week brings. Looking forward to it. Good night, guys. Nice talking with you, Chris. You too. Have a good one. Again, uh, I apologize for that two or three minutes of uh, chaos there. I uh, hope that never happens again. It's only ever happened one other time in 105 episodes or so. So I think the odds are with us. But uh, have a good start to your week, and uh, we'll uh, see you in a few days. Take care. It's a kind of It's a kind of a man.